Today on Bold Steps Weekend with Mark Job, Mark shows us disciplines that make a difference. If you're going to be a blessed person, a person that walks with the favor of God, you're going to have to learn that your values don't come from the outside. Your values have to come from the inside. Your thinking has to be changed by something that's internal, not external. Did you know that the habits you practice right now ultimately affect who you are and who you will be in the future? Welcome to the new Bold Steps Weekend Program with Mark Job. Mark is president of the Moody Bible Institute and the senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Well, this weekend we're going to focus on four habits that can literally alter and change your destiny. Our message is titled Habits of the Word, and Mark, why don't you give us a little preview of what we're going to hear today? Yeah, well, this is taken right out of Acts chapter 2, where it describes the habits of the early church. And one of the habits, they didn't have a physical Bible that they could read because the Scripture, the New Testament wasn't written yet. How privileged we are, huh? Exactly. But they were in the Word regularly through the stories they were telling, through the stories of Jesus. And of course, now we have the Word that we can get into every single day. So today, we're going to be talking about one of the most important habits, which is getting into the Word of God. This is from our series, Habits, Disciplines That Make a Difference. As Mark said, Acts chapter 2 is where we need to begin, so here's Pastor Mark Job. The first habit I want to talk to you about is the habit of truth meditation. And I want you to take your Bibles and look at at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because the four habits that we're going to be talking about come out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four habits. Now, what happened at that time? Well, in the day of Pentecost, 120 people were gathered together. The Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost. That's when the church started. That's when the church was birthed. And on that very day, as they gathered together, and Peter got up and spoke this powerful message, 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000! They were a church of 120. They added 3,000. So on the first day, they became a church of 3,120 people, 3,000 of them baby Christians, new believers that really didn't understand much about Scripture. But the way they grew is that they committed themselves and devoted themselves to four practical life-changing habits. The apostles' teaching. Obviously, in those days, it's before Gutenberg, so the printing press was not uh, invented yet, and the, uh, all they had was the Old Testament, but the way they learned about the teachings of Jesus were the apostles, the ones that hung around with Jesus, the 12 disciples, they began to explain to the people the teachings of Jesus. So it's the Word of God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is the Word of God. It also tells us in in, uh, this passage, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they were devoted to fellowship, which is the word koinonia, means that communion 
making things right with each other, partnering together, and they were devoted to breaking of bread, which is another way of saying communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, which is a form of worship, and they were devoted to prayer. So they were devoted to the Word, the fellowship, to worship, and to prayer. Now, as they practiced these things, as the early church practiced these things, habitually practiced these things, it had an incredible effect on their surrounding. If you read the verses after this, you will discover that it created an atmosphere where miracles happened, a faith environment where God worked in awesome ways. You'll also realize that as they practiced these things, that it, it, it created a sense of unity and commitment among the early church where they were willing to sacrifice and give and live together and grow. And in the final verse of Acts chapter 2, it says, and, the, and they were worshiping and praising God together, and people were added to their midst daily, those who were being saved. In other words, they created an atmosphere that made it easy for people to come to Jesus. And here's what I want to say. I believe that individually and corporately, we need to learn to put these habits into practice because when we begin to practice these habits together and individually, I believe it can create an atmosphere where God can work in a more powerful, powerful way. All right? So, let's start with the first habit. And to look at the first habit, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter 1. Psalms is about the middle of your Bible. It's one of the longest books of the Bible. A lot of the Psalms were written by King David. Psalms chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first three verses of Psalms chapter 1. I'm reading out of the New International Version, and it says this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Listen. And whatever he does prospers. So, the very first habit that I want to talk to you about is the habit of learning and meditating on the truth. Uh, now, in order to grasp this, I, I believe that there's three things, three principles that you need to understand if truth meditation is going to have an effect on your life. Okay, principle number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If truth meditation is going to transform you, then there's three things you need to do. Number one, you need to choose not to allow your surrounding and your culture to be the primary influence on your thinking. Our thinking is all of us are being influenced in the way we think. And you know who's the greatest influence on how we think? The people that are closest to us. It's called peer pressure. Uh, do you realize that the people that are around you begin to shape the way you think? Uh, you hang out with a certain group of people, and guess what? You start thinking like those people think. Uh, you start 
socializing with a group of people and hanging around and being friends. And after a while, you start thinking like them and talking like them and behaving like them and dressing like them and listening to their music. You know why? It's called social pressure. And They've done studies on how this works. I remember one study that they did, at a, they conducted at a university where they took a university students and about 20 of them were in on the experiment and one was a victim that did not know it was an experiment. Uh, they had all these 20 people in a room, 19 of them knew what was going on and one did not know. And they put three lines on the board in front of them. One was obviously longer than the other two. And then they said, okay, what's the, what is the uh, longest line on the board? And 19 of them pointed at the shorter one and said, we think that one is. Well, the one unsuspecting victim looked at it, looked at everybody else. Well, no, I, I think, no, 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 you're wrong. It's the other one. And after a while, that person agreed with the crowd that that was the longest line. You see, he caved into peer pressure. How many of you know that uh, you, you, if you watch your teenager, you can observe your teenager, the Bible says that good company corrupt, that bad company corrupts good morals. If you start hanging around with a certain group of people, it begins to affect the way you think and the way you talk and the way you behave. And what the Bible is saying is this, that the man is blessed, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. You have the verb to walk, to stand, and to sit. And he says, hey, you are a blessed person. What does it mean to be blessed? It means someone, where the fa someone who the favor of God rests upon. You are a blessed person if you do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does it mean to walk in the counsel of the wicked? That means to listen to their, to their advice. That means that you're hearing their advice, you're listening to what they're saying, and you're behaving that way. And he says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That you're not being influenced by what people are telling you because half of what people are telling you is wrong. And you are a blessed person. Listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be an independent thinker. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot follow the crowd. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to learn how to stand up while everybody else is doing this and say, no, I don't do that. You're going to find yourself sometimes while everybody's going that way, you're saying, I'm going this way. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to allow the word to dictate your thinking rather than the crowd to dictate your thinking and your values. And how many of you know that's hard? Because we all want to fit in. We all want to belong. We all want to be accepted. Uh, we, we all want other people to like us. And so there's this incredible peer pressure to accommodate, to fit in, to to be accepted by everybody else. And he says, but blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the, the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. To stand in the way of sinners is to behave like they behave. In other words, I'm doing what they're doing. I'm behaving like they're behaving. And then thirdly, or sit in the seat of mockers, which has to do with belonging to their crowd. 
Look up. I want you to see me very clearly. Listen, especially if you're a junior high or teenager here, I'm going to tell you something that you need to remember and keep ingrained in your mind. That if you're really going to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, then you're going to have to learn how to say no. If you're going to be a, a blessed person, a person that walks with the favor of God, you're going to have to learn that your values don't come from the outside. Your values have to come from the inside. Your thinking has to be changed by something that's internal, not external. Well, this is the new Bold Steps Weekend, and you're listening to the Bible teaching of Mark Job. We'll jump back into the second half of today's message in just a moment, so please stay with us. Would you like to join a community of listeners who are starting their week off with some biblical wisdom and a shot of encouragement from Mark? Well, let me invite you to sign up for our weekly email devotional. Learn more about this program, our Bible teacher, Mark Job, and read over the highlights from both the daily program and the weekend Bold Steps program that you may have missed. The Bold Stepper Weekly is free. It's delivered right to your inbox each Monday morning. So sign up at boldstepsweekend.org. Now let's return to Mark's message called Habits of the Word. Sometimes, I mean, there's been tragic times in in the course of history where people have been swayed by the majority. All you have to do is look at the history of America and and, and consider some of the shameful acts of our past. In some of the deep parts of the South, there were lynchings that were biased, bigoted, uh, mob-induced, Uh, atrocities that were committed simply because the crowd was in a fervor to go in that direction. In World War II, in Germany, there was this bias against Jewish people and bias against gypsies and bias against the elderly. So an entire nation sat back and watched how elderly people were annihilated and Jewish people were taken to the gas chambers And uh, disabled people were killed because the majority of the people were embedded in this idealism of Nazi Germany. And because the majority were going in that direction, a lot of the rest of the people just accepted the values of their culture. And we see it happening here in America in different ways. That there's a culture of promiscuity, a culture of little values, and that we're swept into it the same way without understanding that we need to stand up and say, no, I will not be a part of this. No, I have have, uh, standards and values of my own that do not go along with this culture. The second thing I want you to understand, I'm talking about how to be transformed by the Word. You cannot allow your culture to dictate your thinking. The second thing that it tells us here, verse 2, But his delight, whose delight? The man that's blessed, the man and woman that's blessed. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The second principle I want you to write down is this. You will experience full truth transformation when you learn to enjoy and focus consistently on the principles of the word. Uh, Notice what it says. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
You know what the law of the Lord is? The law of the Lord, it's another way of saying the word of God. If you read in Psalms chapter, uh, Psalms 119, it talks about the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord. In, in a lot of the Old Testament, the word of God is referred to as the law of the Lord. Why? What's a law? A law is a rule that governs your living. The word of God has principles and rules that govern our living. They come from the heart of God. They come from the character and attributes of God, and they are principles that help us know how to live our lives and truths that help us know how to uh, live in this world. And so he says, if you're going to be blessed, you're going to be someone that delights in the Word of God, that you, get, that you get a joy out of it, that you have a hunger for it, that you're like, yeah, I'm into this. Um... What brings delight to you? What do you delight in? Some people delight in food. And they say, well, boy, just the thought of going down to Taylor Street, eating a juicy beef sandwich from Al's Beef, man, that just brings a lot of joy to my heart. Just, yeah, let's go. Yeah, come on, that'll be fun. Or going down south in 95th Street and getting a rainbow ice cream. You know, that nice rainbow ice cream. Boy, I delight in that. Or someone else says, I love to go to the movies. You know, just watch a good action flick. Man, I, I really like, yeah, let's do that. That's fun. I delight in that. Or like a, thousands of people will be doing this evening watching a Bears game. Yeah, that's fun. I delight in that. Well, the idea of the psalmist is saying, when you start looking at the Word of God like that, when you start having this idea of, yeah, I enjoy it, I delight in it, I'm hungry for it, I have a desire for it, this thrills me, I'm into it, I want to study, I want to know it, I can't get enough of it. When your delight is in the law of the Lord and on His law you meditate day and night, then it'll bring about transformation in your life. See, you have to delight in something. Delight means that you have fun in it, you enjoy it, you, you have a desire for it. And I want you to notice what it says. It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You say, well, pastor, how do you meditate on something day and night? Well, let's talk about what it means to meditate, first of all. Uh, to meditate means that you are focusing and concentrating on something uh, that you are looking at something over and over and getting the most out of it. That's meditation. Uh, to meditate is, is like you're slowly, uh, something so, slowly simmering, simmering in your mind, that, that, that you're marinating in it, that you're uh, slowly understanding it and grasping. It's not a quick thing. You keep going to something over and over and thinking about it and pondering it and looking at it from different angles because you're meditating on something. And the Bible says that the man that's blessed is someone that takes the Word of God and it, it's planted in his heart and in his mind and he begins to simmer and meditate on it day and night. You say, well, Mark, I think that's almost impossible. I mean, I work a job or I go to school, I study. I mean, how can you meditate on something day and night? Well, here's how it works. 
When something is in your head and it goes to your heart and it captivates you, then as you're going about your day and going about your business, when you have idle time, your mind goes back to it. You think about it. In the spare moments of time, you think about it again. Is that it's meditation? You see, when I say the word meditation, some of you think about someone that's sitting cross-legged with their hands like this going, um, um. And where someone says, hey, empty your mind and don't think on anything except um. Well, you know, that, that's kind of useless meditation. Because biblical meditation never tells you to empty your mind. If anybody ever tells you to empty your mind, don't listen to them because biblical meditation is not on emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is on filling your mind with truth. It's not emptying your mind of anything. It's filling your mind with truth. That's biblical meditation. And so you get a phrase of the Word of God. That's why, by the way, I like to encourage people to read the Word of God in the morning because then they have all day to meditate on what they've read, okay? Meditation in the morning, I think, is better. In fact, I think people can start doing this at any age, and the earlier you start, I think, the better. My eight-year-old son, Grant, he's always seems to get up early, no matter what. He can go to bed late, he seems to get up early. So this morning, about two months ago, uh, my wife, Dee, and I, we bought him a, a Bible, not a regular Bible like this because he's eight years old, but we bought him a, a comic book type Bible. It's a hardcover Bible and it has all the books of the Bible in it, but it has like, uh, it has pictures in it and like comic book Bible. We told him, Grant, you need to learn to have your devotions. You need to learn to get into the Word. So he's been getting up quite a few days every morning and getting his comic book Bible sitting down and reading the Word. In fact, this morning I, I looked in his bedroom and there he was. he was. He was all snuggled up with a bear's blanket on him. So it had to be a bear's blanket. A bear's blanket and he, and he had his comic book Bible and I said, so son, what'd you read? He said, well, I'm reading about this woman who goes to this well and Jesus says, hey, you know, if you're thirsty, I'm going to give you some water, and if you drink this water, you're not going to be thirsty anymore. He was reading about the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. He says, it's a little confusing, Dad. I said, that's all right. It's confusing for big people, too, but keep reading. You say, well, why would an eight-year-old need to read the Bible? Because here's what I know. The earlier he can get in the habit of getting into the Word then when he's older, it's going to come more naturally and he's going to have all that word in him that's going to help transform his life and his soul. You're listening to the Bible teaching of Pastor Mark Job, and this is the new Bold Steps Weekend. You'll find us online at boldstepsweekend.org. Although this is a relatively new radio program, we're quite encouraged by the comments we're receiving. For example, I just saw this brief note from a listener in California who wrote, Thank you. I've learned so much since you've been on the air. Well, it's comments like this that remind us people are hungry to know Jesus in a personal and profound way. But if you find yourself struggling to find the balance between grace and truth, then we've got a book for you. And Mark will tell us a little bit more about our latest bold action gift. With everything that's happening in our country today, 
the continuing COVID crisis, lockdowns, political upheavals, and pandering? Do you ever feel exhausted or overwhelmed in your Christian walk and witness? Well, if you feel like no matter what you do or what you say is only going to make things worse, let me recommend a book by Randy Alcorn that's bound to help you overcome this debilitating mindset. It's called The Grace and Truth Paradox, Responding with Christ-Like Balance. And you'll discover a brilliant two-point checklist that lays out how God wants you to engage and respond to these worldly issues in a matter that's worthy. In our latest bold action gift, you can ask for your copy of this insightful and engaging read when you give a financial gift of any amount to support this ministry. That's right, Mark, and you can request your copy of Randy Elkhorn's book when you give a gift of any amount to support the ministry of Bold Steps Weekend. Call us at 866-535-5580. That's 866-535-5580. Or give generously online at boldstepsweekend.org. Here at Bold Steps Weekend, we don't pay for traditional advertising, so the best way to get the word out about this program is through friends like you. When you become a bold partner and give a monthly gift of $30 or more to support this ministry, you'll be partnering with us to help people from coast to coast discover the habits of the Word just like you. Signing up is easy when you go to boldstepsweekend.org. And when you reach out today, be sure to let us know how we can pray for you and your family this year. Well, that's all the time we have. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to join us again next weekend when Mark continues with part two of this message. It's from our series, Habits, Disciplines That Make a Difference, and you'll hear it next time right here on the new Bold Steps Weekend. Bold Steps Weekend is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.